Well, good morning, Thrive. How are we doing this morning? It's great to have you guys with us uh, this morning as we give out free school supplies to our community. Man, it's so exciting to get to bless our community uh, today. Amen. Well, we're in a series called Preaching to the Choir. And this series is on our values of our church. What, I mean, what, is, what makes Thrive different than my friend's church? I have so many friends who pastor in Richmond down the street. Like, what do we hold dear as a church, even though we kind of all believe the same thing? What are the actions that we believe that God has called us to as a church? And so during the month of uh, August, what we're going to look at is, are the four major values of Thrive Church. So you can kind of, um, you know, learn more about Thrive. If you're new to Thrive or new or to Thrive, this is the perfect series for you. If you've been attending Thrive for a while, this is a great series to reiterate that. And the reason I call this Preaching to the Choir is this here. This isn't to fix something at Thrive Church. We do this every year. Can I just be honest? I love this church. I love seeing how each of you live out the values of this church, right, in your personal life. It's phenomenal. So I decided to call this series Preaching to the Choir because you know what? Most of you guys are doing it. Now, there's some of you I hope we can fix during this series. I'm joking. That was a joke there. But so go ahead and turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 9 this morning, verse 20. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 20. Well, uh, Francis Chan, when he pastored, had someone approach him after church one day. And if you know Francis Chan, you know how he responds. And the person said, well, pastor, I didn't really like worship this morning. The music was loud, and that, I, I didn't like the song selections. He said, oh, that's fine. That's awesome. She said, why? He says, because we weren't worshiping you. It doesn't matter if you liked it or not. And that's a pretty harsh statement, you think. But inside of just a statement like that reveals to us one of the reasons, especially in America, that there are 2,000 churches a year closing the doors to never open again. Some are becoming apartment buildings. Some are becoming mosques. And so we're seeing churches die. Did you know that 90% of churches in America are plateaued or on death? They're on hospice when it comes to church. The churches that are growing, check this out, 85% of them are not keeping up with the growth of their communities. The communities are growing faster than the churches are. And so in America, we have a, a kind of a dire strait, a crossroads that we're at, where we want to see the church in America have influence to change people's lives. But it looks like we're losing ground. And I believe one of the reasons that's happening is because of a mindset shift that has happened where the church becomes all about me, what I want. Like the band from the 80s and 90s, Me, Myself, and I, right? It's the holy trinity of, uh, of selfishness. And I want to talk to you about that today because we have a value in place called mission that goes against that value of me, myself, and I. And the value of mission, not missions, but mission is where every believer, if you're a follower of Jesus, you understand that God has called you. When he saved you, when he redeemed you through Christ, he called you to go and be the gospel to everyone that you're in contact with, to share the gospel, to put the focus on people who are far from God over your own preferences. And so many times we can kind of get caught in the place where we're looking at our own selves and what we want, what matters to us most, and what is at stake is the future church in America. And so I want to talk to you about the value of mission today. And what better person to talk about than the Apostle Paul? Uh, Paul was the first Christian ever to plant churches that reached non-Christian, non-Jews. Like, like, like before that, 
everybody was all about reaching the Jews in the first century. Peter, James, and John, and those guys were reaching Jews at a great, great clip. And then Paul gets saved. He was the leading Jew and begins to minister to Gentiles who are you and I. We are here today because of Paul. But one of the things that Paul faced in his ministry, as you read his letters over and over, he was always called into question by people about his motives and about was he really an apostle because he wasn't there with Jesus, even though Jesus showed up to him on the road to Damascus. Was he really that? So everything, he was always being questioned. And in 1 Corinthians 9, he's being questioned about his motive for money. Because Paul, at a certain point, was a tent maker. And that's what he did. He, built, he made tents, he made money, and then he'd go preach the gospel. But he got to such a demand, he couldn't do that anymore. He's now traveling on missionary journeys. He was preaching the gospel nonstop. He was planting churches and discipling believers and raising up leaders. He couldn't do it all and make tents. So he began to ask uh, churches for, the, for offerings so he could travel and do ministries. They could fund and fuel this missional ministry that Paul had. Well, in 1 Corinthians 9, uh, what, what happens is you have people that are calling that into question. Now, now, the letters to the Corinthians are the most extensive letters that we have of any letters in the New Testament that Paul wrote to churches. We believe because they were slow learners. Um, if you read the letters to, uh, to 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians letters, you'll realize that they had a lot of issues in those churches. But Paul spent 18 months with these believers. You say, well, that's not a long time, right? I've been here 10 years at Thrive like 18 months, that was his second longest stint. Two years in Ephesus, 18 months in Corinth. So he had a heart for these people. He had a heart for them. And so he reaches out to them and he speaks to them about many different things. But in chapter 9, what he does is he defends himself. And if you read the, the whole of chapter 9, which we don't have time to today, you'll see Paul making a defense for his ministry of why he does what he does there. That, hey, you know what? I am not after your money. He's like, guys, wake up. You spent time with me. You saw me. You saw my character. You saw what, what I did in ministry. You know these people are lying. It's not about money. It's about ministry because Paul was traveling nonstop. And then he makes a statement in the middle of all this in 1 Corinthians 9, 20, where he says, hey, and you know that it's not about me. And here's how you know it's not about me. And look at 1 Corinthians 9, 20. He says, when I was with the Jews, I lived like a Jew to bring the Jews to Christ. Now watch this. When I was with those who followed the Jewish law, I too lived under the law. Even though I'm not subject to the law, I did this so I could bring to Christ those who are under the law. So to his fellow Jews. I mean, the reason he got sent to Rome, if you follow and track Paul's ministry, the reason he was sent to Rome, he went into the Jewish temple to give a shave offering, which I do every day, right? Because... He carried because he was showing his Jewish brothers and sisters, hey, no, 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 I'm still a Jew. Uh, I'm with you. And then he gets, uh, again, arrested in there and taken to Rome. He's saying, hey, look, I tried my best and did all I could to reach the Jews. And then in verse 21, he says this, when I, when I am with the Gentiles who do not follow the Jewish law, I too live apart from that law. Why? So that I can bring them to Christ. But I do not ignore the law of God. I obey the law of Christ, which is very important there, what he's saying. Verse 22, when I am with those who are weak, I share their weaknesses. I want to bring the weak to Christ. Yes, I try to find common ground with everyone doing everything that I can to save some. What Paul is saying is this, this ministry is not about me. 
It's about the people who don't know Christ. And I will do whatever it takes to reach people that don't know Christ. And he's, he's, and he's defending his ministry to them. And what he wants them to understand is, is the focus is not on himself. And what we have to do is take away from that very principle today and look at that very principle for us as a church and us as believers if you are a follower of Jesus in here today. And here's what I've learned when it comes to mission, when it comes to the focus is this. And it's when a church, the church loses focus when people focus on themselves. The church loses focus when people focus on themselves. Paul was being accused of that, wasn't he? You're focusing on yourself. Paul's like, no, 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 no. Number one, every dollar that came in is going into ministry, number one. And number two, listen, I'm reaching Jews and Gentiles. I'm doing all I can to see some saved. And realize today in the local church that when people begin to focus on themselves, the church loses focus. Okay, from 1920 to around 1970, the church in America saw a boom, saw great growth. Um, people were being reached. Families were being reached. Uh, I mean, at, it realized this in 1950, 60, 85% of people in a community attended a local church regularly. 85%. Isn't that crazy? Today it's flipped. Only 15 to 20% attend a local church regularly. And now with COVID, those numbers have probably declined some. So from 1920 to 1970, there was a huge boom of Christianity. Um, a lot of success began to happen with churches. Churches began to grow. But here's what churches did, just like we all had the tendency to do, they began to focus on themselves. Instead of reaching people, instead of the people that are far from God, churches begin to say, how can we build the biggest buildings that we can build? Let's argue about the color of the carpet. Let's argue about songs. Let's, let's uh, you know, let's, let's make it believer-focused only. I mean, you got to realize, and some of, you, some of you know this, that you couldn't go to church unless you had certain clothes on. They would ask you to leave. And in that, we lost a few generations that were done with church. And those generations today, if you're 55 to 75, you look around you and, you, and you can say, yeah, I got some stories of how, man, the church really hurt some people. That's why we're doing a series called When Church Hurts in September for fall kickoff. Because if you wore a hat and you came in church, usher, usher would ask you to take it off. Or if you had shorts on, don't even bother coming in. So slowly what happened over time, people like my mom and my dad and my brother, they said, I don't want nothing to do with your version of Christianity. If this is what Jesus is, I want nothing to do. So then what happened, started in 1980, church growth began to plateau. And then all these church growth experts came out of the woodworks trying to help the church again. And then the 90s again. And so since 1980, the church has been in a steady decline all the way going down and down and losing influence. Why? Because the church chose to focus on itself instead of those who have yet to come in the door. And that's why I tell people all the time, and I talk to people about Thrive, and say, man, I'm so grateful that you guys had this vision. I said, well, listen, understand something about Pastor Kevin. I'm not here to comfort the afflicted. I'm here to afflict the comfortable. <laughs> Amen? But I do believe part of my like, job or responsibility or role from the Lord is to keep us focused, not just on ourselves, but how do we continue to reach people who don't know Jesus? How do we continue? To, it's, it's not for me to keep people happy. It, I've heard this said before, and I fully agree. If I wanted to make people happy, I would went to go sell ice cream, not be in ministry. 
And so my goal for you is to help you as an individual and help us as a church to stay focused on those who haven't come in yet. Because when the church focuses on itself, it loses focus, the focus of what the Lord has for it. And so here's my fear, and here's what can happen. And I want you to write this down here this morning. If we make the church about a personal vision, then it can never fulfill the Great Commission. If we make the church about a personal vision, it can never fulfill the Great Commission. I'm going to talk about the Great Commission today, what Jesus has called us to do and go and making disciples and reaching people. But how many times have you seen churches destroyed because of personal agendas and personal visions? Amen? I've been there. I've seen it. I've seen the arguments and the fights in churches, and it, it just appalled me to see how people in business meetings, right, could just scream and yell and cuss at each other about things. How people all wanted control of a church. And my fear is that when we institute our personal vision for a church, this is, this is what I want, then what happens is this. We won't fulfill the Great Commission. We'll make it all about us. I told Pastor Drew, who was here last week, he did an excellent job. Man, I was joining online with you guys, and Pastor Drew preached the paint off the walls. I said, Drew, realize this. Everybody, when you're a church plant, everybody who comes in your church has a vision for your church. And they're thinking, oh, this guy's young, and I'll get around him. I'll change him. Don't worry. I said, everybody has a personal agenda and vision. Be very careful when you're a small church plant because that's what happens. And so you have to realize when it comes to personal vision, it's not even about me at this church. Um, I told our dream team this morning, I said, look, I don't choose songs, I don't choose light, I don't choose any of that stuff. I get out of the way. Because I've been here 10 years, I'm 43, and you say, well, you're still a young whippersnapper, but, 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 but I've aged now 10 years. Here's what happens with churches. As the pastor ages and his family begins to grow older and get older, people begin to, I mean, he starts reaching people of his age, and as he gets older and older, guess what happens? The church gets older and older. Young families begin to leave because he puts his personal preferences in, and the leaders are all older. They put their personal preferences in, and they look around, and there's nobody young in the church anymore. I want people who are younger than me to help make decisions on the way things should look and sound and all that, because it's not about me. I'll just be honest with you. I could open a hymn book up and sing a hymn with no music, and I'd be just fine. I, I, I don't need anything to get me hyped for Jesus anymore, right? I'm at that place in my faith. But I want to reach people who gave up on the local church. Give a, I want to reach people who, who have not been to church in years, who are unchurched, who, who don't go to church, who don't care about church, who believe all, they have, they've experienced bad versions of Christianity and they're done with it. But any time that we institute a personal vision, it always comes against the Great Commission. I've told you the story of my ministry journey before, and one of the times I really experienced this was when I was in, in Georgia. I was at a traditional church. They ran about 70 people on Sunday mornings. And they had a young pastor who was there, and I met him. He said, hey, look, we're looking for a youth pastor. We'd love for you to come in. I came in. I loved the students, man. Still good friends to so many of them today. And I came in. They had about 10 students. They're just a great group of kids. And the pastor said, hey, look, we had this old sanctuary. It's the, old, it's, it's the granite capital of the world, Elberton, Georgia. So it was that granite, old granite sanctuary. It had no heat, no air. So we had to put in some air-conditioned units, and with the heat, we had those big things that you'd fire up, and they So we'd run it with a fan about 30 minutes before. It smelled like propane in there. Um, I'm surprised kids just didn't pass out due to the fumes. We painted it, man. We made it look cool. We had, we, you know, we, this, is, this is like 2005 or six or seven. So, so like then, it was like we had little TVs up. I mean, students loved it. It got to the point that students, we, we grew to 70 students, and the church only ran 70. 
on Wednesday nights. It was amazing. And then the students wanted to invite their, their, their families to church. And so we started a contemporary service at like the church said, we'll just do it at 8.30 in the morning. Maybe nobody will show up. That's what they hoped. Seriously, because they had their 11 a.m. traditional service. And not only did people show up, we began to outgrow that service. And you think that's good, right? I mean, you've got kids who are goth, all gothed out, all black, fingernail polish coming into church. You've got people who are, who are the preps, people who are the jocks. You got all, it was like heaven on earth, and we were just loving it, man. Students were giving their lives to Jesus, Jesus Buddhists being transformed. It was beautiful. And then personal vision got in the way. The church got angry. We had people in the church who were racist because they did not want other colors coming to there, and they told us that. And we got into to a really big argument and fight at a business meeting, screaming, yelling, cussing. The poor students were crying because their parents and grandparents just hate, you know, what I was doing, hated the church was getting more, you know, demographically different in the church. And we ended up having to all leave that church. It got so bad, and I've shared this story before, that the, the, the deacon board there all got together and said, hey, look, if we, just, if we get everybody in the church to give to a building fund, we don't have to pay the ministry staff anymore. We can starve them out. They wanted my wife and I to starve. We were college students, guys. Like the little bit of money we had, we weren't, I mean, we were going to get an angel food ministry boxes and all that. I mean, we were poor. And it literally destroyed that youth ministry and destroyed that church just decimated it. And one of the students there who was leading worship and one of the guys I mentored ended up falling into crack cocaine and walked away from Jesus. And um, it, it was heartbreaking. So when I say this, I'm not just preaching to you about something that I've theorized about. I've lived it and I've seen it. Is that anytime personal vision gets into me, myself, well, here's what I want. This is what I think. This, this is my opinion. That can kill the great commission of reaching people, making disciples of all nations. And so my heart for this church, which we've done a phenomenal, if you look around, we are, we are everything that we dreamed of in that youth ministry. You're all, all grown up there, right? We're diverse. Man, it's beautiful. This is like heaven on earth, correct? I, I, I love Thrive. But no matter how good a church is, it's my goal to say, you know what? We, we have got to keep the gold standard of being about the Great Commission, not about personal vision at our church. So we can keep reaching people. And so if you have your notes handy, write this down this morning because this is the key. And it's this. The Great Commandment will lead a church to the Great Commission. I'm, I'm going to break that down. But the Great Commandment will lead a church to the Great Commission. So, so how do we as believers become great commission believers? How do we as a church continue to be great commission, uh, a great commission church? It's number one, the great commandment. That's the first thing that's got to fuel us is the great commandment. And this is the great commandment. It's found in Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven. 37. It says, Jesus replied, because he was asked, what is the great, what's the number one law out of 613 in the Torah? What's the number one most important law, Jesus? They try to trick him. And he says this, he says, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind. That's the great commandment. And Jesus says that's the most important thing, that you love the Lord God with all of your heart and all of your soul and all of your mind. Friends, the first thing that we've got to be is a church that's in love with Jesus. And, and, and Jesus goes on to say this, he says, and love others as I have loved you. And the more you experience that love of Jesus, the more you can show to everyone else. But you can't be a great commission church if you're not full of the great commandment 
of loving people. You can't tell me for a second that the leaders of that church I was at back in Georgia were in love with Jesus and loved people they ever would have done the things they did to people, right? It wouldn't have happened. I I believe we we fall into personal vision and agendas and control and all that um, in our lives when we are not in love with Jesus and, and just love other people the way that he's loved us. So the first thing, we have to be as a a church just driven by the great commandment to love the Lord with all of your heart, all of your soul, and all of your mind. Then you can be a church that is fueled by the great commission. It says this in Matthew 28, 18, and 20. After Jesus had resurrected, he says this. This is the great commission. It says, Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore... Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the, of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. And be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Now realize at this point, Jesus is commissioning them. That's what's called the Great Commission. He's sending them at this point now to go be his representatives, to go make disciples of all nations. Now, we think disciple, if, you're, if you've been in church long, you think, oh, that's Sunday school class. That's learning something. You've got to realize when Jesus said this, that Christianity had not been established yet. The church didn't exist yet. These 12 men he's talking to, or 11 men he's talking to at this point, realized then it was their duty to now go to people who, who had no clue about the resurrection and share that with the world. Discipleship starts when someone hears the gospel, not after someone gets saved. And so he gives them the great commission. And so if, you're, if you say you're a follower of Jesus, you say, yeah, I'm, I'm a Christian, then realize Jesus is speaking to you. Go. And that word go there, I love this. It has shaped my life, and so I share it all the time because it really shows the value of mission. That word go doesn't mean go on a mission trip and say, I went on a mission trip. You got a lot of people who, do, who go on missions, but they don't live on mission. Because to live on mission, you got to be Matthew 28, 18 through 20. And it means this here, go and as you're going. That's what the word is, imperfect in the Greek if you're a scholar there, like if you're an English buff. It's go and as you're going. And the imperfect tense means on your daily route. Wherever you go, wherever you work, wherever you find yourself, go and make disciples of all nations. Find the people who don't know me yet, who are antagonistic against me, Build relationship with them, and let's move the needle to get them to hopefully be interested in Jesus and follow Jesus. And so for me personally, what that means to be a great commission-led person is as a pastor, I try to spend a lot of time with unchurched people. I pray for God to open doors for that. So I use the avenue of the gym and basketball courts and things like that, and I'm always praying, Lord, open up doors so I can be someone who is fueled by the great commission. So if you're a follower of Jesus— That wasn't just to his disciples. That's to you, and that's to me as well. And so here's what we have to understand, uh, guys, today. A great commandment-driven, great commission-led church will do three things. And that's what I want to be. I want to be great commandment-led, like just, just fueled by the love of Jesus. And then I want us, as we're fueled by the love of Jesus, to go out and share the gospel with people, to be Jesus to a world that needs it. There are three things that have to, have to happen, and this is number one. They will grow in their love for Christ. This church, we want you to live on mission, 
But we want you to grow in your love for Christ because that fuels you living on mission. See, a lot of people love church. I'm not sure they love Jesus. In America, oh yeah, I like the church. But I don't care if you like the church. Do you love Jesus? And what Thrive should be, I'm not trying to create a church for you where you fall more, more in love with church. I want to create a church for you that's nothing but a vehicle for you to fall more in love with Jesus. For you to fall more in love with the Scriptures, more in love in, with prayer, more in love with the Holy Spirit, to say, Lord, I want to love you more. I want Thrive to have the story for you that it has helped me grow closer in my faith, not I like church more. Because I'm convinced in America, and this happens so much even in students, that, that students love youth group, but I'm not sure that they've fallen in love with Jesus. And it's okay to love church. I hope you, I hope you like the church you attend, right? Is that a good thing? If you don't like it, I mean, listen, we, we spend time here each week. Some of you serve multiple times. Right? You should like the church you attend. But the church is nothing but a midwife to help you fall more in love with Jesus. And that's all the church should be. So number one, we're going to grow in our love for Christ. That's the first thing that happens when you're, you have that great commandment and great commission. The second is this here. You grow in their love for other believers. They grow in their love for other believers. Now, Jesus said this to his disciples because he prayed this and they heard this. And, and, and John records it. He says that I pray that the world will know that you're my disciples by your love for each other. That number one, like we should love Jesus, but number two, we should fall more in love with other believers. To have relationships with other Christ followers, right? That cement us to the faith, that keep us rooted and keep us grounded. Christ never meant for you to do life alone. And so not only will we grow in your faith, but you must grow in, in your love for other believers as well. Super important. And then finally this morning, what happens is this. They grow in their desire to reach people. The more you grow in your faith, the more you want people to have the same thing that you have. Like, like for me, I, I, I pause and I think about, about, about how empty I was, how my life had no meaning or purpose, was devoid of purpose before I knew Jesus. Sometimes you can, be, you can be saved so long, you just forget what it was like before you knew Jesus. And so the more you fall in love with Jesus, the more you want other people to hear the gospel as well. They grow in their desire to reach people. If a church or a believer doesn't care about people who are far from God, something's wrong. I'm not saying they're not a believer, but something is off. Because when the message of Jesus has gripped your heart and the gospel has, got, has changed you, you're just like, man, I want everybody to experience this. Have you ever gotten something, a gift, or you went and bought something, and it just, it was so revolutionary, you wanted everybody to know about it? Like for me, it was the Roomba. Some of y'all know you're laughing because, like, man, I had dogs at that point, and I could just hit a button and leave, and the Roomba just, just cleaned all the dog hair up. So I began to, be, began to be the bearer of the gospel of Roomba. You gotta get one of these. It'll change your life, right? That's what the gospel should be for us. It's like, oh, man, you've got to get Jesus. I'm telling you. I know, I know you hate him. I know you don't like it. I know you don't like the Bible. I know you're like, you think Christians are all, but you've got to experience. This is great. And that's what we should be. See, I, I shared the story with you about Georgia and what I experienced there. But there's a reason we're sitting here today. 
because it was like a parallel universe. When I got to Thrive 10 years ago, and this fall, during our fall kickoff, we're going to celebrate 10 years. We have a video. We're going to have parties. We have a blast celebrating 10 years. Can't believe it. It's amazing, 10 years. But when I got here, there were around 20 people, and I'm not, not being, you know, evangelistic where I stretched the story. There was two people here, and, you know, and neither one of them lived here or something. You know, like, oh, you know, pastors make the story really, really, really not, not true. But, you know, there's 20 people here, and most were senior citizens. And the reason I came here wasn't because I had nothing else to do in life. I was already pastoring. It's because there were senior citizens who wanted to reach people. There were senior citizens who cared. There was a alternate universe. I wasn't used to this, and I want to be very sensitive in how I say this, so please hear me out. Don't shut me off. But my experience had been in church that older white men were the most racist because that's what I experienced. It's not true all around, and they're the ones who wanted to hold the church back, most of all, from reaching people. They're the ones who, who tried to starve me out, my wife and I out. They're the ones who I saw over and over again. I come here Majority were older white guys of a parallel universe. I remember when I came that I stood outside with Randy Joyce. And Randy had tears in his eyes about the state of his church. They didn't have long for they had to shut the doors down if something didn't happen. And I was coming just to check this place out and I watched someone who was passionate. I remember sitting in the meeting with these 20-something people, and Mr. Huey Blackburn saying, we'll do whatever it takes to get you here, son. We've got to reach people. And he had his little walker, and he stood up. He said, I'll, I'll start a pastoral transition fund. And the man was on a fixed income. I remember Doug Blackburn saying, whatever it takes, man, I'll serve. And he served in sound and facilities and everything else. I remember Carlisle Carter, who didn't want the church to change, but he said, you know what? It needs to. I don't like it, but I'm, I'm here with you. Supported me along the way. Remember Frankie and Dickie and Laverne Ash? It's the Ash brothers and Laverne and how supportive they were. To this day, you'll see Frankie out here laughing and cutting up. Bubba Joyce, faithfully serving every Sunday. There were so many people that I could go through that whole list there. Elise Harris. I mean, you just go through all of them. And they said, we want to reach people, and we'll do whatever it takes. I went back to Florida, and I said, I told my wife, I said, this is crazy. I don't think this church has a shot, <laughs> but I can't get past these people. Do you know what was different about them than the other places? Great commandment fueled. They loved the Lord. They loved Jesus. They loved Jesus. Some of them have passed away and gone on now. And great commission focused. Pastor, we'll do whatever it takes. I remember the first time I brought color, like some colored lights in here and stuff, and I went and I, I talked to Frankie and some of the other ones. I said, what do you think? He's like, this is great, man. This is awesome. I love it. I was like, oh, okay. I thought he was going to shoot me down like a Japanese fighter pilot. You know? Rail against the system. That's the story of why we're here today. Because there was a group of people that wanted to see this, that had that loved Jesus with all their heart and wanted to reach people. Amen? That's why the value of mission means so much to me here at Thrive Church. 
but they said, we want to be a church that lives on mission. Friends, I want to encourage you. Be believers that are fueled by the great commandment, that are gripped by the love of Jesus, and be believers that are driven, that are driven by that great commission, saying, Lord, every day open up doors for me to share the gospel, to be Jesus to those who don't know Jesus, to give Jesus a good name to those who other Christians have given him a bad name to. Lord, help me with that. And that's the value that really drives the heart of who we are as a church. That's why we give out free school supplies, guys. Right? And we're not asking people. What we're asking, I mean, we'd love for, We want people to come and be a part of the church. But we're not like saying, hey, you better come to church. And if you don't, there's no school supplies for you. It's like, nah, man, we just want to let you know that Jesus loves you. No strings attached. Amen? That, that's what we want to be as a church. So if you're, if you're checking Thrive out, you say, man, I, just, I wonder what type of church this is. This is what church. We are fueled by the great commandment so we can go live out the great commission. Let's pray this morning. Father, I pray that you would grip our hearts with your love, the love of Jesus. Help us, Lord, to love you with all of our heart and all of our soul and all of our mind, Lord. Not just some, but all. And Lord, empower us to be light to a world that's full of darkness that needs your light. God, I pray for opportunities for every person in here. And God, we also ask as a church that you would help us, Lord, to stay focused on loving you with all we got and loving people with all we got, Lord. I pray that, that we would never lose sight and make property more important than people that make personal agendas more important than people. May we always keep our hearts pure, God, and make it about people. We love you, Lord. We praise you. And as we're in this mode of prayer, maybe, to, maybe you walked away from your faith. Maybe you did get hurt by church or experienced a bad version of Christianity. But today, you want to come back to faith in Christ. You want to be all in for Jesus again. You know it's time. The Lord's been working on your heart. You're like, it is time. Whether you're in here physically or online, today is your day. Or maybe you've never taken that step. You've been scared to be all in for Jesus. You've never really surrendered your heart to Christ. You love church, but not sure you love Jesus. Today's your day to give your life to Christ, to be enraptured by his love. So no matter who you are in here today or online, I want you to pray this prayer after me. It's, it's a confession of faith. You say, God, I admit I cannot save myself. I'm a sinner in need of the Savior. So today, I call upon the name of the Lord. Save me. Redeem me. God, I repent of my sins. I turn from that old life. And I receive brand new life in Christ. I receive forgiveness of sins. For I believe that Jesus is Lord. Today I make him my Lord. And God, I believe that he rose again on the third day. Thank you today, Lord, for saving me. In your good name I pray. Amen. Amen. If you